Welcome. Welcome to the Grow People Podcast. There's Pastor Jason. I wanted to get it in there sooner this time. You did. You did a great job. Um, all refreshed from your time off, your Thanksgiving. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's a 70s show. That's your era. It, it, right that, is, yeah. that is my era. Yeah. You know, I worked with all of those guys except for John Travolta at one point. Really? In the uh, stand-up business. Gabe, wow. Gabe Kaplan was a stand-up. Wow. Um, Ron Palillo, who was Horshack, he was a stand-up comic. Robert Hedges, who played Juan Epstein, he was a stand-up comic. So, the only name I know was John Travolta of everything okay. you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Gabe Kaplan was was Gabe was, was, was Cotter. Cotter. Okay, yeah. okay, from the Welcome Back Cotter. Okay. Uh, this is the Grow People Podcast. The, the purpose, GPP. The GPP. My name is David Stein. The purpose of the Grow People Podcast is to help grow people. Did you have a, a swell Thanksgiving? I did swell. Mm -hmm. Yes, I swelled up. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, we had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, it's always good to go see my uh, family, you know, my dad, my brother and sister, his side of the family. So that was fun. And um, obviously to go deer hunting. So it's really kind of a, a sacred time in that I get to spend time with my dad and him mm -hmm. and I just have grown up deer hunting together or I guess I should say I've grown up deer hunting with him. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was great. Got to eat, see family and, you know, really get my redneck on, which was great. Well, you like the outdoors. Oh, I love it. Love, absolutely love it. If I don't get outside multiple times a day, then I just go crazy. And uh, so, yeah, it was great. If for some reason, you know, there is a chance that you could go to Leanna's family Thanksgiving extravaganza. <laughs> you you would love that. It's it starts uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Oh, that, really? Yeah, we didn't go down until Thanksgiving morning. Okay, but it starts the weekend before Thanksgiving. People come down to the farm. This is a farm in Malone, Florida. Mm -hmm. So population three hundred. Yeah, and then on Thanksgiving it's population four hundred and two. <laughs> Because there were 102 people. I heard you say that. Literally 100 people? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and that was a record. That wow. was a record. And it's not even a family reunion. These are people that you know, grew up together. Yeah. These are all cousins that, that get together for Thanksgiving. So it's 900 acres. Everybody goes hunting. Really? Yep. They do? Yep. And they shoot whatever. Yeah. And then the day after Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving is a traditional dinner for 100 people. Yeah. In a pavilion that was built on the farm specifically for Thanksgiving. Wow. And then the day after is the game supper. Wow. So anything shot. Prior to. Is fried up and eaten. Wow. Um, so this year they had um, obviously squirrel, pigeon, uh, dove, deer, bear, wow. snake, uh, <laughs> what, what, whatever is shot. <laughs> possum probably yeah yeah no, no doubt neutral rat uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> my my first thanksgiving and and if you are new into the family which i was new into the family 13 years ago yeah you are given a turkey hat a stuffed turkey hat to wear hat hat to wear for the rest of the year really uh, yes and you have to take that wherever you go and take pictures of you wearing this turkey that's hat. awesome yeah yeah it's pretty cool uh but the first year at the game supper was my first bear and it was awesome this year was the the no the, you said the first year when you went my first year though yeah, yeah. a bear for the first time and then squirrel um which i enjoyed yeah i, I liked it all yeah yeah that is wild yeah that it's, might it's, be the coolest tradition ever it's it's pretty cool and and you know we all hold hands in a circle and then count off to determine how many people are there really yeah and 
And that's like the big moment of the entire week is to count off and see how many people. And there were probably 20 or 30 that weren't there. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, was this a tradition that was started like primarily by one person or mm-hmm. it's kind of grown? It, it started uh, with granddaddy's generation 75 years ago. Okay. To get together for Thanksgiving for a big week. Okay. So next year is the 75th anniversary of it. And he's wow. he's 98. He's sharp. He's funny. Um, I mean, he came out to the came out to the dinner and talked to everybody. And wow, yeah. So where do not everybody stays on site, right? Most do. There's there's several houses still on the farm. Yeah, and then people bring their RVs. Oh, and, they do. Okay. Yeah. And then outside of Malone, there's Mariana, Florida. We stayed in you know a Hampton. Yeah. in Mariana, and uh, came back on Friday. It was great. <laughs> it's awesome. As much as I've heard about this Thanksgiving. Um, I have not gotten this level of detail. So that's, oh. I mean, I'm even more impressed. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that really makes it is you see generationally, now this farm was deeded into the family by, um, yeah, you said Frank, that on the last part by Franklin Pierce. Yeah. Which I don't know who that is. He was a president. Okay. I think. Of the United States? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Keon, could you look that up? There's a Pierce. Was there was there a president Pierce? Oh, and I have my computer with me. Today. Okay, all right, look that up. I, I think he was a president. I think it was deeded back in eighteen. Boba da boom. Yeah, and and it's cool. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, was the fourteenth president. There you go. I should have had that memorized. And in, from eighteen fifty three to eighteen fifty seven. Yeah, that's that's when the farm was deeded. Wow. So they still have that up on the wall, which I forgot to take a picture of because that would be really cool to blow up and have that framed and. Yeah. yeah. Oh, heck, heck yeah. But to see, you know, granddaddy's generation, he's the last of, I think, I, I could be wrong, 10, 10, Kids. 10 siblings, yeah. could be eight, I don't know. And then passed on to the next generation of those kids. And then someday it'll be passed on to, you know, Leanna's generation. Wow. And they'll have to have Thanksgiving. Yeah. And put it all together. So pretty cool. That's amazing. So we had Thanksgiving, then we went right into Christmas, the mad rush to Christmas. We had the staff Christmas party, yeah. actually, <laughs> actually last night. And I am very appreciative that we have it in November. Yeah. Because yes. December's just, it's just too much. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's so December. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is. And, uh, and, peace on earth. Mercy yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, none we're, of those things. We're, we're busy saying no to things in December because yeah. it's just so chock full. Uh, so to have the staff Christmas party in November is great, but there was a moment last night where you, me, uh, Philip Bentley, who was mm. one of our team members up in Jasper. He is the husband of our kids director up in Jasper, yeah. Ashley. And we we're sitting there with Tim Brummel, who was yeah. our worship minister, just kicking around a pretty, I think a pretty good idea <laughs> of putting together a brass section Yeah, <laughs> for uh, whether it's Christmas or some event team member party, anything. And it turns out, and I think we've talked about this before, uh, you played the trombone girl. I did, yep. And uh, it turns out first chair. First the, chair, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For those non-musicians who yes. don't know what that is, we yeah. can explain it. Um, I played the trombone yep. uh, first chair because it was the only trombone. <laughs> it was literally the only chair in the did, section. Did you choose the trombone? You know, I can't remember when we were talking about it last night, um, cause I, like I was telling y'all and I don't think we've talked about this on here, but I played in the sixth grade because in my middle school, you couldn't start football to the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there was no program. So I was sixth grade, nothing to do. And some, somebody told me, a friend of mine said, Hey man, if you're in the band, you get to go to Six Flags on a trip at the end of the year. I'm like, well, I'm down with that. So I joined the band sixth grade and I don't remember. I mean, I definitely didn't go in there thinking I wanted that, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, if I, I would have to probably say a, my size, it was a good kind of instrument. Uh, I mean, I would look weird with a trumpet or, you know, (laughs) but I think we had baritones and I think we needed some trumpets. Mm -hmm. So I, my assumption, uh, my recollection is my my band teacher just picked that for me. I I, rem- yeah. I remember vividly uh, the horror of being the last person in line when they said, "Hey, there's uh, they're going to hand out instruments for band." Yeah, and I was like, "Cool, I'm going. Maybe I'll get drums. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe a trumpet." I was yeah. just like, well, "Please, no clarinet, no flute, nothing like that." And not that there's anything wrong with that. No, I just did, the reeds. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't want to. Yeah. And the last, the last instrument they had, and I was the last person, it was the trombone. (laughs) And, you know, I figured, all right, here we go. So I was the only trombonist in Mm. the fourth grade band. We were not very good. (laughs) Uh, By sixth grade, we had nailed it. Yeah. And and we were, we were the kings of of the town uh, in the band. And then, uh, then I went on to play in high school and. Oh, you did play all the way through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then joined a Dixieland band, uh, the the P Town Dixie Players. God was just getting you ready for the South. Is that what it was? <laughs> <He> was. <laughs> and, and we played all kinds of you know, New Orleans jazz and stuff like yeah. that. And that was forty four years ago. Hmm. Wow. Well, you since you played it that long, then then you probably have because we were discussing this last night. I'm like, man, I don't even know if I remember the scales and you know the where they where to go, you know, uh, I mean, I definitely could clean out the spit, you know, yeah, how to do yeah, that. we could do that and I could do, you know, get my mouthpiece. Um, but I, I had thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and like you, I was in a, in fact, I went to, after my sixth grade, sixth grade year, I went to band camp the, in the summer cause <laughs> our, I'm not laughing. No, I know yeah. it's funny. Yeah. It's funny of all the, you know, jokes you've seen in movies and stuff, but I loved it. Like it was incredible. Cause our, Tyler, where I grew up, Tyler Independent School District had a camp called Camp Tyler, which they still own it today, is this camp that the school district owns. And then this, every all the schools get to use it mm-hmm. for free. And so, like we had an eighth grade, our middle school went on an eighth grade trip there. So all middle schools did that. Right. And then you could have band camp there. So it was this great resource that the school district had. And so it was there, mm-hmm. and which wasn't far from my house. And I loved it. And while I was there, I was in a jazz band and, and that's when I really started. Like, oh yeah. Took off, you know, um, because you get a little funk in that. Yes. You know? yes, and yes. My teacher was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my teacher was like a world famous. He actually came on staff at our church that I was on staff at in college later on. Um, just like a world famous jazz musician. Oh, wow. And so it was a lot of fun, but then, when seventh grade came around, you know, it was like I had to either choose athletics or band as a class period, mm-hmm. you know? So I was going to play football. And so I chose athletics and, and it really upset my band teacher, obviously, cause I had, mm-hmm. I think we had five or six trombonists and I was first chair, mm-hmm. which is funny to me. It's like, literally, you know, you're sitting in chairs and yes. first chairs, you know, you're the best one. And his, he tried to convince me to stay in band. Um, 
and again, it wasn't like I didn't want to be in band anymore because I didn't think, you know, I thought it was weird or something. I enjoyed it. But his whole argument to me is I could make this a career. You know, I could, okay. I could get into this. Mm-hmm. And the thing he chose to tell me was like, you can make this a career and you could make it to the band that plays for the president, like the presidential band or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and like he showed me clips and videos, <laughs> which I didn't even know that that was like a thing. Yeah. Um, the end of Halo Chief. You can go. <laughs> yeah, I could have. Yeah, I could have been that dude on Air Force One or, you know. But I thought, and I told him, well, sir, that's like seven people out of like 300 million. That's a very small yeah. chance that I would actually make it that mm-hmm. far. So you can then do I, anything you want. Yeah. So, But I felt like that was like a completely unattainable goal. <laughs> like there's no way I could make it to that. But he didn't talk to me anything about a symphony or other things. Mm-hmm. Like, so I feel like if he would have like set the bar a little lower, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then, then he could have kept me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I felt like that was so on unad- I think he mm-hmm. shot for the moon because he wanted me to stay, right. obviously. But, but I do wish I would have kept playing um, because it would, be, it would be fun to do these kind of things. Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, Give us 10 minutes and we could probably figure out the scales again. I mean, probably. it's been 44 years. Yeah. I mean, the toughest thing is just having the lips to continue. Exactly. Uh, blowing on the horn. Yeah. Um, I, I stayed in it because, see, in my high school, you had to have an extracurricular activity. Yeah. And you had to play a sport all three semesters, fall, winter, and spring. Really? Yes. You were required <laughs> to do that. Wow. Now, you could play junior varsity or varsity level. Yeah. Or intramural. Okay. But you had to do both, and I was in That's the good. I was in the band. I was in the choir until I got kicked out. <laughs> got kicked out of the choir. You're such a troublemaker. I, I am. Well, he said if you miss three practices, mm. you're out. That's pretty tough. Yeah, and I was the only I was the only guy that sounded like this. Yeah. So I was the only bass. Yeah. I was like, good luck, peace out. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no hallelujah chorus yeah. this year. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> and and uh, so I stuck with the stuck with the trombone. Well, let me ask one question yeah. without trying to be uh, uh, disrespectful to you. <laughs> How do you have that much musical training and you still can't clap on beat? I cannot <laughs> clap on. I'm an offbeat clapper. I said it in the message. I don't know what it is. And, you know, and, and what's amazing is that I led that responsive reading. I am the worst responsive reader when it comes to doing that. In the, in the congregation, if you do a responsive yeah. reading... I have trouble following along. Yeah. I, I don't know like why that the timing of the words. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't I don't sing the right words that are up on the screen. I <laughs> can't clap on beat. Um <laughs> this is I feel like we need to have a uh, neurological study done or something. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. I, I mean I knew you played the trombone. I just didn't realize that you were this trained in it. Like yeah. I didn't realize you had this much experience musically. So now it, I am flummoxed at why uh, <laughs> at this phenomenon now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. You, I'm totally okay with you bringing that up. I'm a terrible clapper. I wouldn't say you're terrible because you're a good clapper. Oh, I'm a loud clapper. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. But but it's just the you're just slightly offbeat. Yes, yeah. yes. Which would explain a lot. <laughs> it would explain the first sixty-two years of my life. Okay. All right. Speaking of uh, brass sections, brass sections. Yeah. Um, we have spent the last two podcasts going into a deep dive into um, 
all things Israel, mm -hmm. national Israel, spiritual Israel, yep. end times, prophecy, revelation. And it was, it was a deep dive, but it was tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So, in some ways. so the first question is how deep do you want to go? And to go from the brass section of trombones, and by the way, Philip Bentley plays the tuba. Okay. So we could really rock out like a, like a Salvation Army band. We could. Yeah. 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 We had a kettle and a bell. I think we, we, we'd be good. <laughs> but not a kettlebell. No. <laughs> no. Today was kettlebell at the gym, by the way. <laughs> um, the, the transition here would probably be uh, trumpets yeah. in Revelation. <laughs> yeah. See what it did there? The brass section in yes. Revelation. Mm -hmm. So how deep do we want to go today? Well, I thought, um, like you said, we've talked, we've now, you know, done two episodes. One specifically regarding current events, you know, going on um, with the war in Israel with Hamas and just kind of how we should think about that as Christians from spiritual Israel uh, and national Israel, and then kind of parlayed that into how that connects to end time events. And what I thought for today, we would just kind of summarize, you know, if you will, um, or kind of put, bring a conclusion to those okay. two things. And cause we've kind of used Israel, you know, current events talking about Israel, um, and then parlayed that into basically future events, mm -hmm. you know, talking about, but even last time we talked about a, a particular view of, uh, which has kind of been the, the majority view of evangelicals thinking about the book of revelation and future, uh, end time events, particularly dispensationalism and kind of the historicity of that. But then at the end of last time, we kind of got into articulating more so what we believe and how to think about revelation. So I, th I thought it'd be good to kind of get into like, let's dig into that some more because I know there was a lot of people obviously that have talked with you and me and um, that enjoyed those conversations, but maybe they're still confused, you know, on how to think about this. You know, the majority, and I would say, that, you know, almost everyone, um, even if they had a dispensationalist view prior to listening to the podcast was complimentary and said, Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, now that clears it up for me. Now, yeah. now I can move on with a more biblical view. Uh, this is how I, un this is how I understood it growing up, which is how many people understood it growing up. Yeah. And now we have laid it out. This is how that came about in the late 1800s, early 1900s. This is why the dispensationalist view was taught, but now we can look at it this way. So, um, there were, People on both sides, they were dispensationalists, but now they really understand why that's not biblically correct. Well, and I was going to yes. say this, not, and I wouldn't say it's unbiblical. Un un unbiblical. Yeah, it's yes. just, it's a different interpretation. Different, different interpretation. Yeah, yeah. And then there were some that were in a dispensationalist uh, environment yeah. and had been saying, hey, th there is another way to look at this. Yeah. And we'd brought some confirmation to that. Good. Good. Well, again, that's what we want to do. And I think it'd be helpful um, to, again, that's what I was saying, can kind of conclude these thoughts and bring into how do we think about this now? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and I wasn't trying to correct you, but no, 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 that was, uh, that, that was the right way to do it. Well, what, again, cause I want to go back <laughs> yeah. to help people understand that if people do hold a dispensationalist view, we're not saying that you're not biblical. Yes, it's not or, or not the, unbiblical. Yeah. Yes, I chose I chose the wrong word. Well, again, I, and the reason I say that is not to correct you, but yeah. to correct the understand. That's one thing we wanted to do to kind of differentiate the fact of 
saying there's reasons why you may hold this view and we're not attacking the Bible. Correct. So I don't want them to think that in the same way they would think we're attacking the Bible. We're Mm -hmm. saying that they are. Um, but I do think it's important to understand not only what we've already discussed, yep. but now how do we think about this in sure. a more, I would say, historical, correctly historical mm-hmm. way, you know, um, thinking about how how the book of Revelation has historically been interpreted. Yes. You know, how it has uh, and how to think about it in the the most biblically correct way, you know, uh, and like I said, and we said last time, the book of Revelation is symbolic. Um, and so where the dispensationalists, again, fighting for biblical authority and errancy of scripture, which is good. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm so glad, I'm so grateful for the believers like Schofield and Darby and others who fought those fought fights for the inerrancy of scripture, for the literal, that the scripture is the literal word of God. But to understand now um, that we need to look at the book of Revelation symbolically. And when we say that, people are like, well, what does that mean? Then? Mm-hmm. You know, like, does, is none of this going to refer to it? Uh, is, is the book of Revelation then not referring to any literal events? Okay. You know, um, like the entire thing is just, and we should just read it like almost as like a science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what we're saying either. And and literally, we've got the, the, this in the book that I said last time, Mystery Explained by David Campbell. I would again highly recommend that. It's a very easy read, um, just because of how it gives you just kind of overviews. So literally, I just want to. We're going to read parts of this book, and this comes out of primarily the introduction of the book. And so I want to read it to our listeners to because instead of me and you just kind of riffing on things, and we we will, but. I want to read parts of this for the sake of clarity Mm -hmm. to try to help people to think, okay, either I was dispensationalist in my viewpoint, that's what I was taught or I wasn't, but I still don't know how to handle the book of revelation, you know, um, or how to think about where we are, you know, in terms of end times events. So literally I I think it'd be good if we read through some of this and then we talked, you know, as we did it. So I've had several, so I'm going to start, reading in the very first part of this introduction to give kind of a, and I said, we said this in the last one, but to give an overview of how to think about it. So revelation is not a handbook to last day's events. It is a pastoral letter written to Christians of every age and generation, which is important on how to live lives faithful to God and Christ in the midst of all the challenges a hostile pagan world throws at them. The visions given to John form a prophetic picture of the sovereignty of God working through all the ups and downs of human history. It assures believers that God is Lord over that history and exhorts them to persevere in obedience in order to inherit an internal reward that will infinitely compensate for the sufferings they have undergone in this present world due to their faithfulness to him. So first and foremost, it's important to understand that the book of Revelation, as we said last week, is or last time, is a pastoral letter. It is, and if you come into that with that viewpoint, which is how, and I know, and I listened back to our own podcast, and I said this a couple times, referring to other pastors that have, how they use prophecy, and I made a comment of like, that's a misunderstanding of how to use prophecy. What I meant by that is prophecy 
is not primarily about just helping us understand future events. Prophecy is about prophesying, hey, which is prophesy is telling the truth. It The role of the prophet wasn't just to explain to a group of people what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. The role of the prophecy was to tell people what's going to happen. So therefore, and, and, and a, lot, a lot of it wasn't necessarily like chronologically or specific. Um, it was general. And what I mean by that is like, and, and you think of Isaiah and Daniel and all these guys, their role was always to try to get people to repent. That's the point of prophecy. The role of prophecy is not just for us to read it so we have clarity on what's going to happen. Right. It's for us to read it and to be warned about what's coming as a way as a warning to us to make sure we're obedient and repent if we need to. It, so it's it's more of like saying, hey, judgment's coming. And since judgment's coming, you need to make sure you're on the right side. Mm-hmm. So that's how we need to think about it. And we need to think about the book of Revelation that way. We need to read it as God, as God is our shepherd, Jesus is our shepherd, and pastors and apostles, of which obviously John was one, and he wrote this. That's why the emphasis in the first three chapters is to the seven churches. He's saying to those seven churches, the the end times or the latter days that Daniel prophesied about, which again, one of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation is Daniel, which dispensationists would agree with me, but they would try to force Revelation and Daniel into a specific timeline. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is no, but John is picking up from Daniel as a warning to say the, the latter days that Daniel prophesied are now. They are here now. And, and the end is coming, and judgments are coming. And that's when you get into the trumpets and the bowls and the seals. That is God's judgment coming in human history, and that's meant to warn us. This is coming. Repent. Trust in Jesus, no matter how, how hard it gets. So that's the point of the book of Revelation. And I think it's important to start there. Excellent. Excellent. And then just kind of keep reading. We often forget that prophecy in the Bible deals far more. This is what I was just saying, calling people to repentance and obedience in light of God's purposes in history than about the simple prediction of future events. This dual nature of revelation, pastoral and prophetic calls for a radical change in the way in which Christians, especially in the North American context, understand it. Although it does in some places speak of the events immediately preceding the return of Christ, that's important. So when we talk about symbolic, we're not saying that the book of Revelation doesn't refer to things that are going to happen. It does. Particularly the events getting closer to the return of Christ when it talks about wars and the the kind of the the book of Revelation almost speaking of of instruments, my remember my professor, he described it as a drum beat. You know, the book of Revelation kind of gets in this drum beat where it starts slow. And it's like when we like do a clap, you know, we start slow and then it reaches this crescendo to where there's there's then we hit it. That's how we think about the book of Revelation. So it it, the tribulation, which John said in chapter one, he was a, their partner of these seven churches in the tribulation. So John understood the tribulation already occurring, mm-hmm. already happening. Right. 
and and it's going to exist in like this drum beat that's going to get louder, 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 and then bam, you know. So the book of Revelation is referring to, particularly at the end, some events that will take place. Yes. But I'm going to keep reading here. The main point of that is for the most part, it addresses each of us precisely in the place we live now. So I think it's important to say we can't just try to force the book of Revelation into particularly chapters 4 through 20. Well, here's the seven years of tribulation. Here's all the charts and graphs. Here's the timeline. And that's what dispensationalists view. They try to put all of those events from chapters 4 to 20 in a chronological timeline. Mm -hmm of a seven year period. Right. What we're saying is no, that's not what the point of it is. It's not because when you read it, it doesn't, that's where it gets super confusing. Cause it's like, it's jumping around it. Sometimes it makes it feel like believers are already in heaven. And yet sometimes they're still here. Well, the point is yes, mm -hmm. he's sometimes he goes forward and he gets a vision of when we are in heaven. And then sometimes he comes back to where we're still here on earth and the judgments are increasing. So again, when we say symbolic, what we're talking about is it, John is using the, one of the primary ways to understand the book of revelation, which I'll get into this as well is through the lens of the Exodus and the lens of the plagues and how there was this dual nature of what was going on when the nation of Israel or the people of Israel, mm -hmm. they weren't a nation yet. We're in is we're in slavery in Egypt. When they came before they came out, there was a series of ten plagues that happened, mm -hmm. and they increased in their intensity until it reached this crescendo. When God simultaneously in one act saved Israel and judged Egypt, that's the premise or the lens through which we read the Book of Revelation. That we are right now in the midst of like we are, we are spiritual Israel the church made up of Jews and Gentiles are living in Egypt symbolically. And we're experiencing these escalating plagues mm -hmm. that are going on um, through wars and all these things that the book describes, which is going to reach this, which is going to have a dual effect of hardening the world against the people of God and yet growing the faith of the people of God to where, and then it reaches this one act where in the Red Sea, we're saved, the world is judged. That is the best and clearest explanation of Revelation I've heard. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so run that, run that three minutes back and listen to it over and over again. You will understand how we are supposed to look at this. Well, and that, again, that's what we want. And so I want to, and, and a lot of that, again, has primarily come through reading things like this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to keep, keep doing that. So it calls us, the book of Revelation calls us to obedience to God's commands and offers us his grace toward that end. It's promise, it promises us a rich reward if we persevere. Now let me read what I just said or what I was referencing. The storyline of Revelation retraces that of the Exodus. Christians are portrayed as leaving the bondage of spiritual Egypt or Babylon, because you see Babylon a lot, which we'll talk about that, crossing the fearful sea where evil resides and entering the place of God's protection in the wilderness as they fix their eyes on the eventual goal of the eternal promised land, which would be the new heaven and new earth. Mm -hmm. The plagues of Exodus are replicated in the plagues of the various civilizations of human history. This is what we're talking about, the tribulation. 
Uh, these are the evil empires of human history, of which in that context in the first century was Rome. So Rome throughout the book of Revelation is is referred to as Babylon. Mm-hmm. But again, Babylon is not, it was the Babylon, the Babylonians were the first ones who destroyed the the first temple. And um, that's when Israel went into exodus, uh, exile. So Babylon was a literal place in its modern day Iraq, which ironically Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild. Right. And I said in a message a few weeks ago, when I said Nineveh was in Iran, I, that was actually incorrect. Nineveh was in Iraq, um, which the story of Jonah is about. And that was Babylon. Iran was the Persians. So that was the second group that came in and defeated the Northern Kingdom. So Babylon symbolically, so again, think about this. Babylon was a kingdom then. Now it symbolically refers to any evil kingdom that comes against God. Mm. So that's how we think about right. Babylon throughout the book of Revelation, which again could refer to current evil kingdoms or evil regimes in our world, like a, how people think of a Russia or a China or things like that. So it could refer to those things symbolically, but we can't definitively say, yes, that's what it refers right. to because of the nature of how it's used symbolically. Um, so let me keep reading here. So leaving the spiritual, uh, wait, where was I? Um, oh, here we go. In the process, God hardens the hearts of unbelievers while seeking to shock those destined for salvation into repentance. It is impossible to understand Revelation without keeping this storyline in place, which that's kind of what I was saying. The book of Revelation is designed as that is to, which we'll get into this even in how Jesus used the parables. The book of Revelation is is a twofold design to judge unbelievers through judgments to say, God is going to judge you and this judgment is coming, but also to warn believers and also encourage believers of saying, hey, God is going to judge the empires of this Mm -hmm. world typified in Babylon who are being influenced by the beast or the antichrist. So make sure you're on God's team which is the lamb. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you get this vision of the lamb that was slain in the middle of the throne of heaven. Obviously that's Jesus. So you're either on team lamb or team serpent, Mm -hmm. you know, serpent being the devil and the, and the serpent is influencing all these Babylons of the world, all these evil empires that have come against God. So it's meant to warn them and shock us into repentance saying, man, I want to make sure I'm on Jesus's team. Right. You know, so, um, which leads us to then start to think about, um, okay. Symbolically, how do we think about all of these parts of revelation? Then? And I, I'm, I just kind of started getting into that from the standpoint of like referring to how we think about this in Babylon. Um, so, there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, symbols in the book of Revelation that right. mean things. And this is where some of the confusion may have been last time. We're not saying the book of Revelation, uh, when we think about it symbolically, it doesn't have meaning. Like it's, it, like it's just a fantasy. It does. But those symbolic things have references 
that come out of our Old Testament understanding, mm-hmm. not symbolically just referring to events that are going to right. happen. So let me read some of this, and hopefully that'll help us. Um, so Revelation in, interprets symbolically and in light of the Old Testament references and allusions which form so much of its substance. To interpret the book symbolically does not mean Revelation does not refer to actual events. Again, what we just said. The key is that in order to determine what events uh, different parts of the book refer to, we must utilize the Old Testament realities behind those visionary symbols. So when we say it's referring to it's symbolic, we can't read the book of Revelation symbolically and then try to figure out what modern day things those symbols refer to. We have to look at the book of Revelation. Instead of going forward into history, we go back into the Old Testament and realize, okay, how do I need to understand these symbols in light of how they were used Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament? So let me give you some examples. Some of these, such as the lampstands in chapter one, are identified for us, that being the churches. For most others, we go back uh, to the Old Testament passages from which they were drawn. So here's some examples. The serpent is Satan. We get that from Genesis. Right. The locusts are the armies hostile to God. We get that from Joel, which is any army. Mm-hmm. Um, and Babylon is the fallen world system. We get that from Isaiah and Jeremiah. To understand the woman of chapter 12, we must go to Joseph's dream. To understand the earth swallowing the waters and saving the woman, we must go back to Israel's deliverance at the Red Sea. That's what I was just referring to earlier in the Exodus. The eagle's wings of which she is carried on refer to God's promises to deliver, deliver his people in Isaiah 40, 31. These we, uh, and then they get into how they explain it. The church composed of people of every nation is portrayed throughout Revelation as the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. That's what we were saying. There's not two covenant peoples. There's one through the work of Christ, taking its place in God's plan. Old Testament prophecies concerning Israel repeatedly interpreted with reference to the church. The judgments depicted in the seals, bowls, and trumpets, here we are to the brass section, (laughs) are cyclical events which recur throughout the church's history. Now that's important. So, and I said this last time, so chapters four through 20 are cyclical events that happen throughout human history with different evil empires. And those are, and every time an empire comes up, God judges them. And each time it happens, it gets worse. So again, those chapters are not referring to seven literal years of tribulation. They're referring to the events that will happen over and over again throughout the entire church age, throughout the entire tribulation, which so far is going on 2000 years of what has happened repeatedly throughout human history. Because what you have throughout human history, again, and you don't have to be a genius to understand this, just go do some basic thing, is there was world empires that rise and fall, Rome being one, um, England being one. Um, They rise and then they fall. They rise and they fall. And through all of that, God is building his church and taking, the church is taking more ground each time. Um. The worst thing that can happen is the church is connected to one of those empires, which has happened throughout human history, and it never goes good for the church. Um, but that's what it's trying to describe, mm-hmm. um, is, is what I was getting out there. So 
um, the plagues are symbols representing representation of the literal plagues of Egypt and have the same effect. This is important of hardening many unbelievers while shocking others into repentance. The book constitutes an exhortation to Christians to remain faithful to Christ in the sufferings they experience is they refuse to compromise with the world systems. This is important as well. We'll get into all the numbers are symbolic, but receive their meaning through their Old Testament background and references. So that's how we think when we say we're talking about it symbolically, that's what we're saying. We can't read the book of Revelation and try to figure out where we are in a chronological timeline. This is what this means based upon this is where we are in 2023. Yes, which is what dispensationalists are trying to do. Mm -hmm. Instead, we need to see it as no matter what generation, because again, the book of Revelation was written to seven literal churches in 90 AD, but it's, it's written to every church that exists in every generation to say, hey, God's judgment is coming. God is going to judge the world systems. So do not join the world systems. Do not try to build empires. Um, that's beastly. That's the, that's the, that's Babylon. That is six, six, six. That is the devil. Um, we are on God's team. We're trying to build the church. We're not trying to build empires. We're trying to build the church and make disciples of all nations. And we will be persecuted for that. And the empire will hate us. And it's almost like you think about Star Wars, you know, um, like the, the empires that happen. And then there's this small force of good people, you know, that are trying to, that's what the book of Revelation is kind of depicting. <laughs> you know, there's these evil empires that are going to happen, but then there's the church made up of Jews and Gentiles that God, that Jesus said he's going to build and is in, in the end will win but we win through suffering just like Jesus. Mm -hmm. We don't win through military might, right? That's the world system. So that to say the, there's only one, there's one, let me get into now this symbolic nature and let's actually talk about some of these symbols. Um, so let me read this. Um, the first book of the first chapter, first verse of chapter one, uh, John speaks of the revelation, which God gave him, uh, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The verb show in the Greek is the verb, I'm going to try to say in Greek, diakonumai. Uh, I don't know if I said that correctly. But the verb occurs seven times elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Each time it is used, it refers to the showing of a pictorial vision, which, the, which God then interprets symbolically. The meaning is confirmed by John in verse 1, where he says, He made known to me by sending his angel. The verb made, no, made known translates the Greek samano, um, samano, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly either, which means to symbolize or to signify symbolically. So, which again, we're talking about, John tells you at the beginning that everything he's about to tell you is symbolic, is what I'm trying to say. Um, that all these things that you're about to see are symbolically referencing things that happen in the Old Testament mm -hmm. that give us understanding of how to think about the things that are about to happen. Right. If that makes sense. It does. Um, so now let's get into um, some of these symbols. I think this will be helpful. This will kind of give you some concrete yeah. evidence of how to think about this. 
Understanding Revelation this way leads us to the observation that all the numbers contained in it are likewise to be understood symbolically. Seven, rooted in the creation account, is the number of God and of completion. Thus, the seven spirits actually refer to the totality of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So it's not literally seven spirits. Right. It is seven symbolically saying complete. So the seven spirits are showing that's the completeness of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole Holy Spirit. So that's how we think about that number. Um, the sets of seven judgments, seals, trumpets that we were talking about, and the bowls express the completeness of God's judgment. So you see this seven repeated three times. What what John is saying is God will completely judge the world. He's not going to miss anything. No one is getting off. God is not, there's going to be no miscarriage of justice or judgment in this thing. God will judge everyone. Um, the four winds, uh, oh, sorry, four is the number of the earth, the four rivers in Genesis 2. Thus, the four winds and the earth's four corners of chapter 7, 1, chapter 7, verse 1, refer to something of a with a worldwide impact. So this is going to happen all over the world, just like the return of Christ is going to be seen all over the world. The four sets of seven judgments express God's complete judgment of the earth. Twelve is the number of government expressed through God's people, the twelve tribes mm -hmm. of Israel and the twelve apostles. 1,000, which we talked about this a little last time, expresses an indefinitely large number or period of time. So not literally a 1,000 years, mm -hmm. just a 1,000 is saying a long time. It's a long time. Long time. I'm going to call it a 1,000. Yeah, it's called a 1,000. It's like saying I'm batting a 1,000, you know, which percentage-wise, but you're not literally saying you're, you know, but it's it's the idea of you're hitting it every time. You're doing, you're doing great. Yes. Um so it's, it's symbolically referring to mm -hmm. a large period of time. Thus, the millennium, which we talked about, refers to the church age as a whole, not literally a thousand years when Jesus returns, he will reign on earth. But to say symbolically now, we are in the millennium mm -hmm. and Christ is reigning right now. Mm -hmm. When he rose from the grave, he took back literally the keys of death from Satan and he's at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling and reigning. And Ephesians said God placed us with him, so we are seated there with him. Paul picks up elsewhere how Jesus disarmed the authorities and the rulers of this world and put them on open display. That's already happened. So we are in the millennium reign of Christ right now. And that's symbolically typified in Revelation by this thousand years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can say, I've got a million reasons to do this. Well, yeah. we don't have a million reasons. We just have a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, the 144,000, which has always been confusing mm -hmm. to people, yep. and there's people that interpret that as literally 144,000 Jewish people. Of chapter 7, this is fascinating to me. In 14, refer to the entire people of God throughout the ages. Now, here's how you get that number. Mm-hmm. 12 tribes. Yep. So that's the Jewish part. 12 apostles. That's the Gentile part. Well, not necessarily those, they were Jewish, but it's referring to the nation of Israel and the church, which is 144. 144 multiplied times a thousand, which expresses the completeness. So you got 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 144 times a thousand, 
So the 144,000 symbolically represents all the believers throughout history, all the people of God. As opposed to an interpretation of Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. Who would say, that's it, 144,000. That's only 144,000, which is just a weird thing, way to think about it. Like, it's not literally 144,000 people. It's symbolically referring to all the people of God. That So if you think about it this way, the 12 twi- tribes were Old Testament. The 12 apostles were New Testament. Well, there's believers in both. Mm-hmm. And you multiply those the Old Testament and New Testament together. 12 times 12 times a thousand is all the believers of all time. That's oh, the 144,000. That, that is the best explanation of that I've ever heard. Well, again, it comes out of this book. Um, so Christ appears seven times um, in the book, Jesus and the spirit 14 times, seven twice, mm-hmm. and the lamb 28 times, seven, seven. four times. Babylon, by contrast, this is fascinating mm-hmm. to me, appears six times. Mm-hmm. Six being the number of fallen humanity, man having been created on the sixth day. That's why you get the number six. Mm-hmm. The number 666 alludes to the demonic trinity. Six repeated three times to reflect its members, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Wow. So the number six is, again, the number of man, fallen man. That's us, which obviously the serpent led us to that fall. So that's why he's associated with the six. Seven is completeness, completeness. Six is incompleteness or man without God, basically. So you, 666 is a symbolic reference to the demonic trinity of these that's typified symbolically through the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So anything with the number six is just talking about the devil and the world system. Anything with the number seven is referring to God and his system. So if you think about that, like the mark of the beast, Mm -hmm. again, is not a literal physical mark. Um, So we're not going to have that on our forehead. I don't think we're going to have a barcode on our forehead (laughs) or a chip in our thing. Now, again, I'm not saying just like we use credit cards to how we buy things. um, I'm not saying we may not evolve like there may come a day where people do get a chip in their skin and they, that's how they buy things. So that may happen. I don't know the future, but what I'm saying is that's not necessarily a mark of the beast. Just like the vaccine wasn't necessarily a mark of the beast. What it's again. So we shouldn't think of the mark of the beast and then try to figure out what literal thing in the world that refers to. That's not how we should think about it. What we should think about is the mark of the beast is simply symbolically referring to if you want to get along in the world systems, you have to go the way of the world. Mm -hmm. You're marked that way. Mm. So yes, there will come a time and it's already happening where like Christian nonprofits are being sued. Christian bakers are being sued right? because they won't capitulate to the world system. So, and, and thankfully we have fought, Christians have fought and have won a lot of those but there will come a time where if you don't go the way of the world, you might lose your job. You might lose your business and you're going to have to make a decision. We're all going to have to make a decision at that time. Am I going to be marked by the beast and go and agree to something that contradicts my beliefs? Or am I going to take the mark of the lamb, which again, mm-hmm. is not a literal mark mm-hmm. uh, or a literal seal. Right. It, it, again, it's like, 
Paul said that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our salvation. That's not a literal down payment, but we do have the Holy Spirit now. So we're marked by God. We're sealed by God. It's not a literal seal, but it is saying symbolically, I, I am allegiance. My allegiance is to the lamb, not to the world. So your allegiance to Christ will cost you. It might cost you your life, which is happening to Christians all over the world. Like again, Hamas and their terror attacks. There will be people that will kill you because you're Christian, mm-hmm. uh, cause, or you believe in God or even Jewish. So that's how we need to think about that. So again, I think we can stop with this. What's the mark of the beast? Mm-hmm. What's the literal mark? Right. Right. And I think that made it clear. You're marked by this world system. Yes. Okay. You are conforming to that world system. Yes. Yes. So the mark of the beast, again, we shouldn't really waste our time trying to figure out what that literal thing is and, and try to spend our time conform, being conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what Romans 12 talks about. Again, that's what John's getting at here is there's going to come a time. Uh, again, Daniel's latter days, that's why John picks up so much on Daniel and references the, the Daniel's prophecies. So again, it is important to understand Daniel to understand Revelation. John's, Daniel's latter days are now. And in the latter days, it is going to be Babylon and the world systems are going to increase in power and will pressure the church to capitulate to its systems, to redefine things, mm-hmm. to redefine truth, to redefine. That's already happening. Right. So, it, so here's what I'm trying to say. People in our church, you are way closer to taking on the mark of the beast if you go with the world's definitions of things. Wow. Then you are by getting a vaccine. So Christians, listen to me. If you don't want the mark of the beast, then go with God's definitions of things. Let God define marriage. Let God define sexuality. Let God define right and wrong, not Babylon or the world. Those are more about how we're marked than it's actual. And this is what amazes me. You got Christian, and I'm not, this isn't a conversation about vaccines. Yes. We should yeah, get do, our, do not, like, do not hear not, that. He, uh, he I'm did, not anti-vaccine. Pastor Jason did not just say yeah, that. I'm not saying okay. that. But what amazes me is Christians will get all up in arms about whether they shouldn't, should or should not get a vaccine, but they don't get all up in arms about whether they should or should not live together before they're married. Ding. Or they should or should not have sex or, or they should or should not what marriage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, th- well, that's because you're being influenced by the world system and mm-hmm. Satan is deceiving. You. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's deceiving you into thinking that you can go the way of the world and still be the people of God. Yeah. You can't. The people of God are always going to be the ones that are attacked. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. And the word of God is always going to be what's attacked. Satan didn't show up and tempt the, uh, Adam and Eve until God had given Adam a word. Once he gave Adam a word and marriage was there, then Satan showed up. And what did he attack? Did God really say? Mm. So in the tribulation, which we're in right now, Satan is going to show up and, and attack the word of God, mm-hmm. which is what is happening. And if you are marked by God, 
you're going to go with the word. If you're marked by Satan, you're going to go with the world. Mm. That's okay. how we understand it. And, and and what a great explanation of what what are we holding tightly to versus what are we not even considering yes. is following God. Exactly. Well, and again, let's get to this. The best thing to think about, the best way to think about this, this dual nature of how the book of Revelation works as far as judging unbelievers and speaking to believers is just how Jesus used the parables. Um, the parables or the purpose of the parables um, was to render the gospel, me- and I'm reading out of this again now, was to render the gospel message hard to understand for unbelievers whose hearts were thus further hardened, just like the plagues mm-hmm. had that effect. But for those whose hearts were right, the parables served to drive them deeper into a desire for understanding. This comes out of Matthew 13. So let me just read it. Matthew 13, verses 11 through 13. This is Jesus talking. Jesus answered. Well, they asked him. Let me, let me go to verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11 of Matthew 13. Jesus answered them. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which we'll actually get into this week in Ephesians 3. Mm-hmm. But to them, it has not been granted. Unbelievers. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, believers, and will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him, unbelievers. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because why seeing they do not see, and why hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Um, and then in their case, Jesus goes on and says the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. So here's how Jesus uses prophecy. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. Now he's quoting Isaiah. You will keep on seeing, but not see. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return. And I'd heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying everything he prophesied about in the Old Testament is happening right now, mm. and you're seeing it, but the world around you is not seeing it because they can't see it. They don't have the ability to see it, which interestingly enough, what does Jesus say in chapters one through three of the book of Revelation? He who has ears, let him hear mm. what the spirit is saying to the churches. So here's how the book, and I'm getting chills. Here's how the book of Revelation functions. It functions just like parables. Those that are in Christ will see it and understand it. Those that are not won't. They won't understand that they're a part of the world system. They won't understand why does Jesus, why does the Bible command us to do all this stuff? Why is the way of Jesus like this? So the book of Revelation is functioning like the book, like the parables did. It has this twofold, it hardens those who don't believe just like the plagues, mm-hmm. and it calls those who do believe to repentance. And, and go back to what you said 20 minutes ago, it calls us to obedience to God's commands and offers us his grace toward that end. Yes. And promises a, us a rich reward. Yes. If we persevere. If we persevere. So the book of Revelation is all about telling the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, which is spiritual Israel, persevere even through this judgment. And if you persevere, God's reward is coming. Don't go the way of the world, no matter how hard it gets. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary in doing good. 
it's going to get worse. Again, just like the birth analogy, mm-hmm. you're saying to a mom who is pregnant with a child, just hold on. The baby's coming. I know you're in pain. I know you're in suffering, but don't give in. Yeah. God is birthing something. Galatians is so clear. Do not give up. Yes. <laughs> You'll reap a harvest. Do not grow weary in doing good. So the parables had that effect. Um, and and we always just talk about the parables as a, like, a great way to communicate. And they are. Mm-hmm. But the parables also had a hardening effect on those who like, that's too confusing. I don't understand it. And mm-hmm. they would just walk away. Right. The plagues had a dual effect. It hardened Pharaoh, mm-hmm. but yet it freed the people of God. So again, going back to that, it's no accident that the plagues of Exodus and the model for the judgments of uh, are the model of judgments for Revelation. Um, the symbols and pictures of Revelation serve the same function as the parables of Jesus, the prophetic actions of the prophets and the plagues of Moses. They, this is what I was saying. They harden the hearts of unbelievers who scoff or fail to understand while driving genuine believers further to God in order to understand what he is saying to them. The unbelief of the lost confirms the justice of the divine judgment coming upon them. So that is how we are to think about the book of Revelation. It is symbolically referring to all these Old Testament illusions like the plagues um, and and Babylon and world systems, and it is telling us world systems will get worse, it will get harder to follow God, but keep following God because we win. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Which again, lastly, let's, uh, and I'm, I kind of mentioned this, but one last thing I want to, um, hold on, let me, let me, let me I hate uh, pregnant pauses, but I'm reading something here. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. We have not, nobody has tuned out. Yeah, I hope no, not. No, nobody's, I hope not. nobody's turned off. Um, nobody, nobody's hit pause. Nobody's hit stop. They haven't moved on to a different podcast. Well, I'm just making sure I've said it. I've already talked about Daniel's latter days are now. Um, so let me get into the last thing I want to talk about symbolically, the millennium, the millennium reign of Christ. One, because I, I referenced it last podcast, but I said something that it wasn't, I won't say it was entirely correct, but I... The t- listening back to it, the timing of it, I was off a little. Um, but in the book of Revelation chapter 20, so basically what we've described is chapters 4 through 19 is talking about the tribulation, mm-hmm. which is now. Again, not a literal seven years, um, but an entire infinite period of time. And also, we've said the millennial reign of Christ is now. Um, so the tribulation is now, the millennial reign of Christ is now. But when you when you read chapter 20, when it says the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And again, some people still believe that's a literal thousand years. Um, and God is going to literally lock up Satan for a thousand years. And we're going to be in this new heaven and new earth for a little while, but then there's going to be somehow all these nations that still exist that don't fall again. That when you trying to force it into that, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a better way to think about it. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, you know, because in the book of Revelation, it says in this millennial reign of Christ, um, the lamb, Jesus, will will lock up Satan for a thousand years, and he won't be allowed to deceive the nations anymore. 
Then he'll be unchained at the end, and he will for one last battle. Well, here's how we understand that. When Jesus rose from the grave, he bound Satan. And this comes out of several things that Jesus said when he talked about the strong man. Jesus Mm -hmm. is the strong man. He talked about how he told the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Even the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 12, talks about that beast being thrown down. So think about it this way. And and then Jesus says when he rose, he took the keys back from, from the devil. So prior to Jesus, which is what we get this idea in Job where Job, where it talks about the devil is in God's presence and he's talking to God. Um, and so kind of the, the idea is prior to Jesus raising from the dead, Satan was still the prince of the power of the air. He still was in heaven and he had more power to deceive nations. And that's when you get um, the book of Daniel, like, you know, the archangel fighting these princes mm-hmm. of Greece and Persia. Um, but after Jesus rose from the dead, Satan was basically kicked out, if you will. He's bound to where now he's here, but now Jesus has authority over him. So at the name of Jesus, every, every demon must flee, you know? So I believe, and again, this viewpoint believes that right now we're in the millennial reign of Christ and Satan is bound, um, to, in a way that he was not before. Um, he know, he doesn't have the same power he had before Jesus rose again because Jesus took it from him. He disarmed him. Mm-hmm. He took his teeth out, if you will, from the, the lion picture. He took the keys back. He's the strong man. And and Jesus is in heaven. Satan is the strong man. No, Jesus is the strong man. Okay. Jesus is the strong man that came and bound the demons in the parable that Jesus talked about. So where I'm going with that is how do we interpret the millennial reign of Christ in this symbolic way? Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about, well, we're in this, we're in this period of time now in this millennial reign of Christ um, in this period of tribulation. So right now we are in this period where Satan is bound mm-hmm. um, and he's bound by the authority of Jesus. So, at the name of Jesus, no spirit, no evil spirit has authority over us. We have authority. That's how he's bound. So don't think of it as Jesus or Satan is bound like he's literally in a pit locked away and he can't do anything. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is he's on earth and he's limited. He's not he, He's not up in heaven anymore where he had power to deceive nations at that level. Now he's here mm-hmm. and he's bound and he's bound by the authority of Christ. He's, we now have authority over him in Jesus name. So that's where we're at right now in the book of revelation of chapter 20, you know, um, which again, if you read it, particularly chapter six through 19, talk about all these cyclical world Mm -hmm. events. And then it jumps in chapter 20 to this millennial time period. Again, what I'm getting at is we're not to think about those as two chronological things like this tribulation is going to happen. Then the return's going to happen, and then this thousand-year millennial reign's going to happen. Mm-hmm. No, now John in chapter twenty is jumping to the spiritual reality behind everything that's happening in chapters four through nineteen. Does that make sense? Yep. So now, what's happening? We are in the millennial reign of Christ. We are in the tribulation, but during this tribulation, Satan's bound, and what that means is this is why I want to encourage people: He's bound by the name and authority of Jesus in your life. 
That's right. You and I now, because of Jesus, because of by grace, through faith in Christ, we now have authority over the demonic. We now have authority over Satan and his demons. That's what the millennial reign of, that's when, when it says he's, the, the serpent has been bound. We're in that period now where he's bound. Well, then it talks about, but after that, he will be loosed again for a little bit. And I do think that is referring to something in the future that's still yet to happen, where sovereignly the Lord will lift his hand and the devil is allowed one last time to kind of rouse the nations. And I do think that's happening right now. Again, I do think that's why Israel's back in the land. I do think that's why nations are coming against Israel. I do think national Israel. I do think that's why it's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian. The nations, the peoples of the world are, and Satan is rallying them together for this last kind of final battle against the people of God, Armageddon as we call it, which does refer to a literal, you know, valley in Israel. I'm not saying there's going to be a literal battle in that valley, but what I am saying is during this millennial reign of Christ, you know, for the last 2000 years, since the ascension of Jesus or resurrection of Jesus, Satan's been bound by the authority of Jesus. But in the very last days, in the very end of the tribulation, Satan will be loosed and and this is when the nations of the world will rage against the people of God. And then that's when Jesus will return. So you're saying some of that loosing is happening now. I, again, that's, this is where it's hard for us to know literally mm-hmm. when that, I don't think there is, because now you're talking about the antichrist coming and the peace that's offered and all that kind of stuff. I do think those, I, I do think those are referring to things that will happen more towards the end. Um, but to say exactly where we're at in that, I mm-hmm. don't know, okay. you know, but what I'm saying is it's better to understand it that way, symbolically, than to think seven years tribulation, Jesus returning, literal thousand year millennial reign, and then, mm-hmm. and then the end. Yeah. Yeah. So the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ are happening at the same time. And we now in the millennial reign of, cause Satan is bound in a way. Satan is limited. Um, the result of Satan has been greatly hindered by Jesus in the gospel. And you see that. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples when they came back and they were like, demons were subject to us in your name. Jesus said, I know I saw Satan falling like lightning from mm-hmm. heaven, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written. Um, so we are living in the period now, I believe, in the millennial reign of Christ, where in the name of Jesus, we have authority over the, the demonic, over the devil. In Jesus' name, he has to flee. So claim that. Live in the Amen. power of Amen. that. Yeah. Live in the reality of that, um, and, and which will help you persevere through the sufferings of the tribulation. Which will, That's what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of thinking about that as just some future event that will come, no, that's now. Yeah. However, at the same time, yes, I am saying that towards the end, towards the last part of the latter days, somehow symbolically, Satan will be allowed to have more power than he does for a short amount of time, which this is when Jesus said that's shortened for the sake of the elect. 
where Satan will have kind of this worldwide power to influence nations to come against the people of God. And that could be through literal nations like Russia and China and those and mm-hmm. Iran and those kind of things. Of course, it could be that. But and I'm saying that to say that will happen, but keep your faith because Jesus will come back and crush that. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Um, so that's how we think about I, I just wanted to end with that thinking about this, how do we symbolically think about the millennial reign of Christ? Because mm-hmm. we talked about the symbolic numbers. But to think it's not a literal thousand years at the end of after Jesus returns, it's metaphor symbolically now. And we have authority, but Satan will be given some more authority than he has. And so it, like, let me say it like this. Those who've been alive for 40, 50 years have said things like this, man, it just seems like it's gotten really crazy, really fast. <laughs> Cause it has, it has. Yeah. And so obviously we're getting closer to the end because it feels like Satan and evil has been given more power. Well, I think it has. And I think that's what revelation is talking about, but it still hasn't given you. He still hasn't been given power over you. He, he still um, does not have power over those who have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Amen. You know, so we have victory in Jesus in the end, and we have victory in Jesus now in his name because Satan has already been bound by Jesus. The strong man, Jesus is the strong man that has come in and has bound those who were tormenting us. So I, I hope you, you all found this, n- number one, encouraging to what Pastor Jason just said, that, that we have authority mm-hmm. and, and also informative. Yeah, because so. you know we broke down some some stuff and some stuff that has been thrown about uh, certainly in the last three years since COVID. Yeah, uh, you know with the mark of the beast, yes. six six six, and all of that. And you know, uh, like you started out by saying, a lot of this is coming from David Campbell's book, Mystery Explained. Yes, uh, it's called Mystery Explained: A Simple Guide to Revelation. Uh, you can find this uh, on Amazon. You can also find excerpts. Uh, that's what we're reading from. Yeah, uh, an excerpt from the internet. And um, hey, if you have questions, let us know. Uh, send those out. Of course, yeah. And, and again, I hope we brought more clarity from mm-hmm. our past two yeah. conversations. Uh, if we haven't, please, <laughs> yeah, talk to us because we want to. Again, the purpose of the Book of Revelation, which is the purpose of what we're trying to get at, is what John said: "Blessed are you who read this." So we need to read it. We don't need to be scared of it. We need to be, we need to be reading it because it shocks our minds into reality. There are bigger realities going on here. This isn't just the world getting worse. This isn't just the world redefining marriage or redefining gender or redefining. This is the, that's the worldly system doing what the world does. And we need to know that Mm -hmm. we are in the last days. We are in the tribulation However, we are in the millennial reign of Christ. And so in the name of Jesus, stick to your to the word of God. Stick to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere. So I, even though this has all been confusing, I do hope it wakes you up mm-hmm. to the reality of what is going on. And it and it just like the parables, you see through the symbols and you get to the what they mean, which is that God's working and that in Christ you have life. And so stick with Jesus, stick with the lamb, even though you're suffering 
because in your suffering, you will win. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And, and you never know. We may go through the book of Revelation someday. Well, yeah, like I said, Lord willing, we will teach this in a series on our weekend gatherings. Excellent. Can't wait. Okay, so if you want a transcript of the show, it is available, turns out, uh, if you're on the YouTube. If you're not on the YouTube, then you have to write down everything we say to get a transcript <laughs> of the show. Our producer is Brian Damero. 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 That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, there you go. Our video technician, Neon Kian Sadiji. Uh, our key grip is Jakob Pushkikovsky. You let me down on that last night. I didn't I didn't know you were looking at me. I thought you were looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> this is at the uh, Christmas party. Yeah. Uh, our head of doctrine and theology, of course, is theologian. Our chief evangelist is salvation. Our backsliding prevention officer is lukewarm. Our Swedish witnessing uh, expert is Bjorn again. <laughs> our expert on Russian eschatology... Petoff Hell. Our Director of Holiness, Mortification. Our Staff Counselor is Les Moody. Very busy these days. Uh, our Giving Coordinator is Generosity. Our Director of Tithing is 10%. Our Nativity Coordinator from France, Beth Lacham. Our Co-Pastors of Plague. Speaking of plagues, Manny Locusts and Lance Boyles. Our <laughs> Irish Eschatology Professor is Marco the Beast. Our Director of Communication is Bernie Bush. Our Director of uh, Doctrine of Election is I Am Chosen. Sabbatical Director, Trip Long. Uh, predestination Expert, Grace and Faith. Grace and Faith, or middle initial is N. Our Director of Marriage Studies uh, from Romania, Shizma Betterhoff. Our Missional Expert is Sam Aria. Sam Aria. Sam Aria. Our Resident Trinitarian is Holly Spirit and... Our strategist for the final battle hmm. is Irma Geddon. Irma. <laughs> Irma Geddon. Irma Geddon. Er, yep. Old school name. Herman Irma. Irma. Irma, Irma Geddon. There you go. Uh, as always, the best advice we could ever give. Trust God. Take a nap. See you.